Well, in hindsight, I should have done this while I was sitting down, but I was too busy singing that song. I'm like, yeah, one of my favorites. I don't remember too much about my great-grandmother. She, uh... She was 90, 90, 95 years old. But uh, it's funny, the things you pick up on when you're younger, random things that you remember for no apparent reason. I remember one day, uh, she was in the nursing home, and my great-aunt and my grandmother had visited with her, and they were laughing about something she had said. She said two things next to each other, zero relationship to each other. She said, Rio de Janeiro, read your Bible. As if the two were emphatically connected. If you think one, you think the other. Rio de Janeiro, fill in the blanks, read your Bible. Yeah. And so I'd like to talk with you about one of those things today. And uh, I'll give you a hint. It's not about a city in the Southern Hemisphere. It's about reading your Bible. And I'd like to present it from a different perspective today. One reason why you should read your Bible. And I want you to follow me down this chain of thinking and I challenge you to, to think through it with me, and I, I ask for your participation, because this is an interpretation of a passage that I find sound. Um, this isn't the way that I've thought about it in the past, but it is the way that I think about it now. And I fully, uh, fully understand that it's a passage that can be thought of in different ways. And so I would encourage your participation and ask for your opinions as well. And challenge you to see if the things that I say um, are sound and uh, are consistent with the way you interpret the Bible. But it starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Talking about Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned. And knowing that they've sinned and anticipating that God will have a problem with what they've done, they have hid themselves from the presence of God. But the interesting thing to me that we read here that's unique in this one verse that we don't, don't read throughout the rest of the story of the Garden of Eden is that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This implies to me a dynamic of the relationship between man and God, which forever changed after this episode. While they were in the Garden of Eden, living, they were in the presence of God, and He walked among them. That is a powerful thought. And unfortunately, this is something that was lost. Because we know after Adam and Eve sinned and were confronted by God about their sin, they were removed from the Garden of Eden, from the presence of God and from the presence of the tree. Because he said, otherwise they might eat from the fruit of this tree and live forever. So they were banished from the garden. And they were banished from the presence of God. And it's interesting to me because I look at this story early on in the book of the Bible and I think that the rest of the Bible 
is all about getting us back into the presence of God, walking with him in fellowship. I think that's what the rest of the Bible is about. We sinned. We had to leave the presence of God because he has nothing to do with sin. So how are we going to get back into that perfect presence and fellowship with God? There's an interesting man in the Bible, and that man is Moses. Because he's described in a way that no other person's described. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, that while he was on Mount Sinai, he was receiving the commandments of the Lord, that he spoke to God just as a man speaks to his friend. He says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua would Son of none, a young man would not depart from the tent. Earlier in this passage, we read an interesting description. It talks about Moses going into the tent. In Exodus 33, verse 8, Whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people would arise and stand at the entrance of the tent and gaze at Moses until he entered. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, which was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. That's a relationship that God did not have with any of the other children of Israel, but he did have with Moses. And it's a striking point because of how it says that he would speak to him face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. But he would not speak with anybody else this way. Now, when we first look at this passage, we might think, oh, well, Moses has achieved that fellowship that was lost in the Garden of Eden. But that's not the case. Even though Moses went up on Mount Sinai and spoke with God, and even though here in this tent of meeting, Moses spoke to God just as a man speaks to his friend, we can know that he was not speaking to the Ancient of Days, the Lord God Almighty, God Jehovah, as he is. I'm not suggesting that the Bible contradicts itself, but I am suggesting an illumination of this passage in which if you go to Acts chapter 7, Stephen, while speaking to the, uh, the, the people of the day, the Pharisees, the uh, people of Israel and the leaders of Israel, before he's about to be stoned and killed for what he's about to say, he says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he approached to look more closely. There came the voice of the Lord. Stephen says that it was the angel of the Lord who came and spoke to Moses. He still had all of the authority of God. He carried from God the oracles to Moses and spoke with him. Had all of the authority, all of the delegated power of God. But specifically thinking about, was it God himself or was it an emissary of God? It was an emissary who spoke for God. So God was speaking, but God was not looking at Moses and Moses was not looking into the eyes of God. This is also explained in Hebrews chapter 2, where we're talking about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why is one greater than the other? The argument is used that the Old Testament was given to us by angels. He says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, 
If the words spoken through angels, that is the Old Testament, proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we, who have heard the New Testament given by Jesus, God in the flesh himself, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So the Old Testament was given by angels. Moses spoke to an angel of the Lord. And if you go to uh, Exodus chapter 33, you'll see this as well. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses spoke again to God. And he said, I pray you, show me your glory. Moses was delegated by God to lead the children of Israel out of their bondage, Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. And that was a difficult task. And Moses said, please show me your glory. He says, if you're not leaving with us, then don't leave us from this place. In verse 12 of 33, Moses says, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you've said, I have known you by name and I have also found favor in your sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have indeed found favor, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said in verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. Moses says in verse 18, I pray, show me your glory. And Moses has already seen the burning bush that God called him from. Moses has seen all of the works and the mighty plagues which God accomplished through his hand in the land of Egypt. Moses has seen the Red Sea parted and walked through their midst on dry ground. But here, Moses says, show me your glory. And God said, I myself will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see my face and live. And then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. There is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by. My glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In Exodus 34, verse 5, it says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow down toward the earth in worship. So join, join with me. Let's reconcile some of these passages. Talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden living in perfect harmony and fellowship with God, God himself walking with them in the garden. Moses, it says, spoke with God very closely. 
But we know through the word of Stephen and through the Hebrew writer that he himself did not speak with God face to face because God himself said to Moses, as he asked him, show me more, show me your glory. God himself said, you cannot see my face and live. And yet he did grant Moses' request in a different way. As Moses was in the rock and as his face was covered, he saw a glimpse of God's back as he walked by. But God did more than just show him something to look at. He told him something to hear. And he told him his character. Seeing God himself is not knowing God. There's more to knowing God than just looking at him. I often like looking through my family history. And I love seeing old, old pictures. Now, I recently saw an old picture of my great-great-grandfather, born in 1864, named James Lincoln Eldridge. I saw a picture of him in his 40s. I'd only seen a picture of him as an old man. But I saw a picture of him young. He had my great-grandfather sitting on the lap of his wife next to him, who I'd also never seen a picture of. And I remember asking my grandfather and and his sister, my great aunt, what what can you tell me about these people? And they could not tell me much. I recently connected with a third cousin of mine who is also a descendant of James Lincoln. And she had heard some different stories about him. She says, well, I know that he was a hog farmer. Like, okay, another piece of the puzzle. He was a hog farmer. So I know what he looked like. I see his sunken eyes. I see his long cheekbones. I see his long white beard. And I know he was a hog farmer. But I don't know much. I can look at that picture, but it doesn't tell me much. Rather, what if I never had the picture? What if I never saw a picture of his face, but I knew everything about him? Which would you rather have? In which case could you say, I know this person? It would be the latter, by knowing what he did. What did he say? What were his interactions with other people? If I know those things, then I could say I knew who he was. But as it is, I just have a picture. There is more to knowing God than just seeing him. We know God by knowing who he is, his character, his mighty deeds. And that's why when Moses wanted to know who God was, he granted him as much as he could to his eyes and yet also spoke his character while he passed by. Man cannot see God's glory as he did in the Garden of Eden. But we can know God and know him better than if we had only just seen him. And now I want to bring you to this passage that I have been challenged with in the past, and now I challenge you with. And as we go through our Bible class in the auditorium through the next few weeks, eventually we'll get to this passage. In 1 Corinthians, uh, chapters 12 through 14. Now I've written, uh, not written, I've typed up this passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. But before we look at these verses, let me tell you, And I would encourage you to go home and read this context to see if the things which I'm telling you are the way that you read them. The context of chapters 12 through 14. 
talked in our class this morning about what's one of the main problems with the church in Corinth. One of the main problems is they, they've got pride that's reaching its fingers through their lives, through all of their interaction, and it's manifesting its ugliness in different ways. One of the ways that their pride is showing its ugly head is through the spiritual gifts which they've been given through the Holy Spirit. In the, Old, in the New Testament, the first century church, when someone was baptized, an apostle would lay their hands on them and give them a gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, explains these different gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says um, in, in verse, um, verse 4, there are a variety of gifts. It's the same spirit, but there are a variety of gifts. And there are a variety of ministries in the same Lord, variety of effects, but the same God. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge to another faith, to another gifts of healing, the ability to touch somebody and miraculously heal them to another, the affecting of miracles and another prophecy and another, the distinguishing of spirits to another different kinds of tongues and another, the interpretation of tongues. When someone was baptized in the new Testament an apostle would lay their hands on them and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. The apostle didn't choose the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit chose the gift that would be given. Now, put this in this first century context, this group of Christians in Corinth, they come together during their assemblies, just like we do, but with their gifts of the Holy Spirit. And instead of using their gifts to encourage one another and build up one another, they're basically using it as a show and tell, as a look what I can do contest. Because, again, they've got pride. And that pride is wanting them to show how great they are. Look at what the Holy Spirit's given me to do. Instead of using their gifts to build up the body, they're using their gifts to puff up themselves. And they've got these gifts. And so, after describing these gifts, at the end of chapter 12, he says, uh, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And still I show you a more excellent way. The gifts were given only by the laying on of hands of the apostles. And so when the apostles died, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their miraculous sense were no longer distributed. And it's important for us to know that. And it's also important for us to know why they were given. And we'll see a glimpse of that here in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. But it's important to know that those gifts died away. And he says at the end of chapter 1231, I show you a more excellent way. Put a pin in both of those things and now let's read this passage. Love never fails. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. Let me tell you what I think this passage is saying. In the context of the spiritual gifts that these folks have, 
in the context of their pride, which is corrupting those gifts and misconforming the purpose of those gifts. He says, learn to love one another. Because if there are gifts of prophecy, they will eventually be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. Eventually, the gifts of the Holy Spirit would cease in the first century. But what would still be there? Love. And if they didn't have love when those gifts of the Holy Spirit were gone, then what was going to hold that church together? Or any of the churches together? Nothing. Without love, there would be no bond. There would be no unity in Christ holding them together. And that's why it's a more excellent way. Because without love being the filter through which those gifts shone, there was no unity. There was dissolution. There was discord. And so the better way, instead of focusing on these spiritual gifts, was to learn how to love one another. And then those gifts could be utilized as they were fully intended. And again, I said that these were only to be used for a time. He compares this phase of church history as to being a child. Being a child. And eventually that child would have to grow up and mature. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were for the childish church, which was growing and needed to mature to learn how to love one another. When eventually those gifts, those crutches would no longer be needed and they would grow and they would be mature. When I was a child, I spoke like a child and thought like a child and reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, he also says earlier, going back to this uh, second quarter of the verse, we know in part and we prophesy in part. And then he says further at the end of this passage, we know for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We know in part, we prophesy in part. We see dimly, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. When I read this passage, I see a connection between those things. They are prophesying in part. The apostles, as they prophesied, prophesied in part. Paul talks about a prophecy that he received in 2 Corinthians and says, because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, he was given a big, a doozy of a prophecy. And because of how great a prophecy it was, he was also given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Prophecy, when it came to these folks in the New Testament, in the first century, did not come all at once. Boom, you get it all. You get it all. It came in part. One person received a piece. Another person received a piece. They spoke to each other what they had both received. There was the dependence of each other in the revelation of prophecy, the way that it was revealed. But ultimately, there would come a time when all of those pieces come together. And form the full part. And prophecy is done away with. Objectively, we know that that prophecy is done away with. And we know that we have no need of that same prophecy. Because it has been fully revealed to us. We'll look at a couple passages in just a moment. which show this. But in 1 John chapter 1, he talks about this prophecy just a little bit. This process these things which we have received, the things which we've seen, which we have touched, which we have heard, we write down so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with Christ. These things we make known to you so that your joy may be made full. 
the whole thing, everything that you could need to know and have is yours. It's been written down. It came in pieces and then it all came together. Now, here's the part. That's how I've interpreted this passage. I encourage you to think about that. If you read this differently, let me know. But going from there into this next step of the application and uniting that thought with where we've been, full fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, Moses wanting to see God face to face, but God saying, you cannot see my face and live. And yet then speaking to him, his character to tell him about his self. Here's what he says. When I became a man, I did away with these childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I believe that Paul is saying here that the full revelation of prophecy, when the partial is done away with and the fullness is here, is equated with seeing God face to face. When we look at this passage in its context, chapters 12, 13, and 14, that's what I think Paul is saying here. Now, the other interpretation of this passage is talking about heaven, where we'll see God face to face. That's what 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says. And so that's absolutely true. We will see God face to face. But what I think this verse is saying is that when we read the word, which has been fully revealed to us through the apostles and the prophets of the first century, we are able to see God face to face. And that's why you need to read your Bible. Because we know God better by knowing what he has done, by what he has said to us. If you had to choose what you knew of God, one or the other, would you rather see God for a moment and say, oh, that's what he looks like? Or would you rather know everything that he has done? His word revealed to us the revelation of Jesus Christ and all of his teachings, which rocked the world. Would you rather see a glimpse of him or would you rather know him? We come to know him by reading him, which is why he's preserved himself for us over the last 2000 years, painstakingly, purposefully, deliberately, perfectly. He has revealed himself and preserved himself so that every single one of us can know God face to face in his word. How great a God we serve. That's what I think this passage is saying. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I gain understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is inspired by God. Why? And it's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Whatever God wants you to be, us his child, he our father. He wants something for our lives. And whatever it is he wants us to be, we have in his word, which he has inspired or literally breathed into the pages. The breath of God and his will for us is preserved. 
in the words he's spoken to us so that we may be adequate. Adequate gets a bad rap. (laughs) Adequate gives this connotation of, "Eh, well, it's adequate. In the eyes of God, I just want to be adequate. I just want to be enough for my God. Whatever the rubric is, whatever his qualifications are, whatever the checklist he is looking at and saying, here's what I want from you, Michael. You can do this. That's what I want to be. And God has breathed his words into these pages so that I may be enough, that I may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And this passage which we refer to in 1 John chapter 3, we want the same fellowship with God that the apostles have. 1 John was written by the apostle whom Jesus loved, as he calls himself. The one who reclined against the chest of Jesus. The one who, as Jesus died on the cross, looked at this apostle and said, Take care of my mother. That kind of fellowship that that man had with Jesus, he speaks to us and says, You can read the words which we have written and have that same fellowship too. Doesn't get much closer than that. And I'll believe that apostle because this church is built on the foundation of those apostles and of Jesus, the cornerstone. And that's the fellowship I want to have. Tie this all together. Man used to have perfect fellowship in the garden with God. Used to walk in the garden with God. But we lost it because sin. And all of human history has been about getting us back into that perfect fellowship with God. And I believe that we can have that perfect fellowship with God here and now in the Bible, which he has preserved for us. And I also believe that there will come a time when I will see God just as he is. My favorite passage of scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We can have perfect fellowship with God today. And there will come a time when we will have fellowship with God in the future, dwelling with him just as he is. But are you purifying yourself as he is pure? Because that's the imitation. And that's the application. That's the so what. He says, everyone who has this hope on him purifies himself. Just as he is pure. Brethren, are you purifying yourself today? Or are you walking in sin still?
Put aside the life of sin. Embrace the fellowship that God has preserved for us. Unite yourself with His Son, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who came to earth, died in the flesh, taking upon Himself all of your sins, and rose from the dead to walk in newness of life so that you, in following that pattern, uniting with Jesus in baptism, might put to death the man of sin that reigns in your body and never die again. Walk a new life in which you will never taste death. You will never have to walk in death under the fear of death, under the sting of death, but a new life. That is God's invitation to you, which I extend to you as well. If there's any need of any person here, won't you make it known while we stand and sing our invitation song?